welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And while you're turning there, let me tell you a story. I still remember vividly turning 16 because in Arkansas, turning 16 means what? driver's license freedom right like I'm gonna get out of here and when you're a redneck boy there is nothing better than climbing in that old rusty truck and getting freedom I'm gonna go see my friends I'm gonna go meet girls it's gonna be awesome so I saw so I turned 16 but I grew up in an abusive household and on the first day of school my mom said you cannot drive your truck to school today and I'm still not happy about it it was horrible all my friends were like hey hey you're, you're 16 you brought your truck right like no I didn't bring my truck today but I brought it the next day and, and I remember driving down the hill and looking over at my driver or my passenger seat and there's like there's nobody in here with me I am free I can do whatever I want to I'm an adult thing kind of person like like it was so exciting but I didn't know until later my mom on that day apparently had a different experience she, she told me later she said she watched me out the window and cried as I drove down the hill and I said mom that is so silly and all of my life, I have believed, poor mom sitting in here every Sunday while I pick on her, all of my life I have believed that is so silly until this week. We had a small change in my house. My daughter has slept in a crib ever since she was born until this week, and we got her, I, I, I don't speak adult anymore, I speak toddler parent, we got her a big girl bed. And so on Tuesday, we took the crib out of her room and, and we put the big girl bed in there. We explained to her that you can get in the bed as you want to, but you must stay in the bed. Don't be getting out of the bed. And so when I went to bed Tuesday night, I swung by her room and, and I went in there and I saw this visible picture of my little girl growing up. It wasn't very long ago she was this big and she would sleep on my chest for hours and hours. And now I had this visible picture of her growing up and her maturing as she laid in this bed with her cover and her little bunny all cuddled up. And uh, uh, I didn't cry. And, and even if I did, I wouldn't admit it to y'all because I'm a manly man. And manly men do not cry because their little princess is sleeping in a new bed. So I... I I didn't cry, okay? Now, the, the reason I tell you that is as, as we look at ourselves and we look at our children and our grandchildren, we, we all know there is a system of maturity that we go through. There's always a new experience, a, a new growth aspect that we see ourselves and our children go through, whether it's being two and getting in a new bed, being 16 and driving to school for the first time, graduating high school, getting married. There, there are points of maturity for a human being where things begin to change for us. And in the Bible, what God tells us in the Bible as as a believer we have a similar maturing process where we start out like a babe in Christ and we mature into a spiritual adult and so every year I pray for this church at the beginning of the year and I pray God what can we focus on where does Ramsey Heights need to mature this year and we call that our focus for the year last year our focus was community and we spent a lot of time teaching and talking about what it means to be a church we talked about your need for connection, not just attendance at a church if you are serious about your walk with God. We, we talked about what it means to be a church member, what the responsibilities of a church member are to, to grow together with others and serve God. We talked about how important church unity is, and we developed a discipleship process that is modeled to try to begin to pull people into the family and bring more connection. 
And so for 2023, back before Christmas, I began praying. I had a few ideals, like this is something that we could be good. And I began praying, God, what can we as a church grow in and mature in in 2023? And I wanted to tell him what I was thinking, but the moment I honestly opened my heart and began to pray, he just laid it on my heart immediately. He said, Brian, 2023 is a year of maturing and giving for Ramsey Heights. God wants us as a church to begin to mature in this. So if you've got your notes, by the way, in your bulletin, there's always a little thing of notes that you can fill out. You don't have to, but if you never have, I'd encourage you to try that just one time. It'll help you understand what we're talking about a little bit more. But on your first take-home truths on those notes today, our 2023 focus, what we are going to try to grow in as a church, is growing in giving generously. Now, giving is a part of our faith. Because what giving does is it declares by action that I belong to God. And because I belong to God, anything that belongs to me must also belong to God. And I give because I choose to take resources and invest in God's kingdom and instead of investing those resources in my own personal kingdom. So it is a discipleship, or it is a, a trait of a disciple that reminds me who God is, that his kingdom is more important than my personal kingdom, and it reminds me to learn to trust and care for him, or uh, trust him that he will care for me. So with that in mind, let's look at the scripture here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul here is speaking to the church on Cor of Corinth on a collection, and he's giving them instructions to give. But I love this about Paul, and I love this about most of the scripture. Most scripture will tell you something to do, but it doesn't stop there. A lot of times scripture will give you a bonus. It will tell you, do this, and then it will tell you why. So Paul here is going to begin by telling us, as Christians, as followers of Christ, you should be a generous giver, but we get this bonus of seeing why we should be a generous giver. Read with me, starting in verse 6. But I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he proposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back to that. So, so this starts talking about giving, and Paul at this time was speaking to a mostly agricultural society, meaning that their whole world was built around what can you grow and get out of the ground? Now, for us, while we live in a somewhat rural area, we have some aspects of an agricultural society. Some of the things that the Bible talks about when giving examples that relate to an agricultural society, we have to learn. And if you spent very much time in the Word or very much time in the church, some of these things kind of become second nature for us. So, for example, when he says sowing here, what he's talking about is a farmer who goes out into a field and he has a, a sack of seed and he walks through his field after preparing the dirt and he just takes handful after handful, and he just sows it. And, and so Paul uses this concept that, hey, if a farmer goes out and they put out a lot of seed, that's going to create a lot of plants that are going to bring a lot of yield at harvest time. But if a farmer goes out there and does what I would do, because I'm cheap and kind of sprinkles things around, there's not going to be as much yield at farming time, or at harvest time. And so Paul uses this example to talk about giving for a Christian. And it's like this. If you know nothing about growing things, I've got corn kernels in this right here. If you know nothing about growing things, and we were having a discussion about how we're going to handle food for the next year, and I had this jar of corn, corn kernels, 
Chances are, if you knew nothing about growing, you would say, well, let's cook them. This is, this is actually popcorn, so we would pop it. Let's cook it. There's the food. The food is here. It's been supplied. Let, let's try to figure it out. How crazy would it be for me to walk up to you if you didn't understand the basics of planting and say, oh, take that food and plant it in the ground and see what God can do with it? You would think I was crazy, right? But anybody who understands the very basics of planting, gardening, or farming knows that if I take that little thing of, cornels, of, of corn kernels, plant it in the ground, it will grow lots of corn that will give us many, many ears of corn. So, so what Paul is saying here is in the same way I might, as a farmer or somebody who knows something about farming, might direct somebody who knows no clue about how farming works, Paul is saying to Christians, you don't really know how giving works. You don't really understand this. It's counterintuitive to say, give your money away. It's counterintuitive to, to say, give it to God. But it's just like planting crops. If you will give it and put it in the hands of God, he will do something with it. And then Paul goes forward to say, if you give sparingly, if you sow sparingly in your giving, there will be a little that comes back. If you give bountifully, you will bring a lot back. So our next take-home truth here from the scripture is giving little will have little reward. Giving generously will have a generous reward. And this is a scripture that sometimes we're not really sure exactly what to do with because it's been misused or we don't like it even. But Paul is teaching this very clearly. Giving a lot brings a lot of reward. Giving a little brings little reward. Those same concepts came straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. Giving a lot will bring a lot of reward. Giving little will bring little reward. So if we believe what the Bible says, and I do, I believe the Bible is the living word of God. If we believe what the Bible says and that this is correct, that should revolutionize how I look at giving. That should change how I look at giving, where I no longer see giving as a waste of money. Why would I give away perfectly good money? It's a loss to where giving then becomes an investment for me because I trust that God is going to do something with what I give. So in light of this, Paul goes into verse 7 and he says, okay, if that's true, if what I have just said about God is true, in that case, you should probably give. That makes complete, total sense. Paul, Paul was not embarrassed of this. He just simply said, hey, this is the way the world works. This is the way God causes the world to work. If that's true, the smart thing to do would be to give. But he says this, which is hard for us sometimes. He says to give cheerfully. That, that, means, that means happily, which is the exact opposite of how I ever spend money. I never spend money and happy about it. I can buy something I really want and be mad about how much it costs. But, but what Paul is saying here is give cheerfully. He even goes so far as to say, do not give when you give grudgingly, which means I'm upset that I'm giving this money. Don't give out of necessity, which means don't give because you think you have to follow a rule because you're Christ, a Christian. He says, give cheerfully. And that is so counterintuitive to be excited to give money away. You would have to be insane to hand somebody a $100 bill and smile and be like, I can't wait to give it to you. And pardon this terminology, but isn't the majority of our faith insane by the world's standards? I mean, think of what we're doing here today. We're in church today. I get to stand before the God of creation covered in the righteousness of his son. Me, a sinner, when God looks at me, he sees the perfection of Jesus Christ. That is insane by the world's standards. Many of you may have kept up with the news this week. There's, um, back in November, there was a... Um, what is it, I think four murders in Idaho. Have you guys seen this in the news? And they recently captured the guy that they believe that did it. 
And of course, we're all like, that's a bad dude. He's crazy. He's insane. He stabbed all these four people. Listen, here's the insanity of God. God loves him with a passion so strong that no matter what he's done, even as a murderer, God's heart is come to me, my child. Salvation is available to that man. By the world standards, that is insane. If you grew up in Sunday school, you were taught and you believed stories in the Old Testament like three men who followed God being thrown in a fire and they walk out of the fire not even smelling like smoke. You believe and were taught about seas parting and people walking across a sea on dry land. You believe there was a flood that wiped out everything in the world except for one man and his family and a bunch of animals. You believe that a shepherd boy can take down a warrior giant. Our faith is insane by the world standards. So why would it be that much more of a stretch for us to say it's good and exciting to give cheerfully? Because by those standards, we should. Our next take-home truth is we can give cheerfully because we believe God is good. See, giving cheerfully is an aspect of faith. It means that God has made me a promise, and I believe that he will make good on his promise. So I can be happy about that. But honestly, if we're being truthful, excitement is the exact opposite of how we receive teaching on giving or giving. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. I stand up here every day. I watch your faces. I saw it. The moment I said giving, everybody in here went, oh, no. It's the money talk. And some of us will go, okay, I guess I'll give a little bit more uh, this week. That, that's the way that, that we kind of, kind of come back to this. And that's absolutely normal. I got a picture coming up here. This is a lady that you've probably heard me talk about, Miss Corey Tinboom. She is one of the uh, most prolific Christians that I'm aware of. I'm reading the third book by Corey, uh, Corey Tinboom right now. And uh, if you don't know her story, quick thing, her and her family were arrested during the Holocaust for hiding Jews. They were put in concentration camps. Most of her family died. Corey came out and God used that to launch her into ministry. She traveled the world into her 80s, nearly 90 years old, traveling the world, spreading the gospel. This lady loves God and had a very vibrant faith. And she tells a story in her book, Tramp for the Lord, one time, where, where she felt called to go to a country, I believe it was in Africa. And she sat down, she traveled enough, she knew what the cost were. She sat down and she said, to go on this missionary journey is going to cost me $5,000. And she looked at her bank account and she said, I have $3,000. But being a lady of faith, she turned to God. She said, if God is calling me to go here, God will provide the resources. So she began to pray, God, I need $2,000 more to do what you're calling me to do. And here's the message that she got. God turned back to her and said, I need you to give $2,000 to another local ministry. Now, Corey did the same thing I would do and the same thing you would do. God, you misheard me. I said I needed $2,000 more. I didn't say I had $2,000 I needed to give away. You, you need to get that straightened out. But God continued to convict her. And so she said, okay, it's God's money. I trust him to provide. And so she gave away the majority of what she had in a ministry and walking home from that moment where she gave that money and said, now what am I going to do? I'm, no I'm farther from my goal than I was. She goes by her mailbox and she picks up an envelope and in it, there's a letter that says, Corey, I felt God laying it on my heart that you needed this money for your ministry. And in that envelope was enough money to replace the money she had just given away enough money to get her to her goal of $5,000 to $2,000 she had prayed for, and more. 
See, Corey learned in that moment what the scripture teaches is true. That, that if we will give, God will bring it back to us bountifully. So, so with, that in, um, with that in mind, I, I look at myself, and I'll be honest with you. I began praying, and I'm like, God, what do you want us to do? And he's like, give. I was like, really? No, not, not that. Something else. Uh, God, I have some financial goals for the church this year, and that sounds like it could get in the way of that. Uh, God, people don't like to hear about giving. I, I don't really like the, the uh, torches and pitchforks. You know, like, we don't want to do that. But, but I began to pray through it, and I was like, God, I will follow you wherever you call me to go. If this is what we're going to teach, I don't care if it's me teaching one person. This is what we're going to teach. But I began to see something. If God is laying it on Ramsey Heights this year to be a church of giving, God has a plan for something he's trying to do here at Ramsey Heights. And my perspective has changed from like most people reacting to this going, I don't want to give anymore, to I'm excited for what God is about to do in this church. He's doing something. I don't know what it is, but he's not calling us to this just because he feels like it would be better if we all had less money. God's getting ready to do something here at Ramsey Heights. So with that being said, here are our 2023 goals. We want to be excited about giving. This is your next take-home truth. Goal number one is we want to give more generously to God. We want to give more generously to God. This is an individual level goal here at Ramsey Heights. And when I say give more generously to God, I want you to take your resources as I do with mine, and I want you to lay them in God's hands out of your control. Most specifically, that's in giving to your church that we should be coming here. So this year, we are going to spend time and effort on teaching people, encouraging people, and giving people opportunities to grow in giving. In 2023, here's my goal for every person, including myself and my wife, in this room. I want you to take the next step in giving. I don't know what your next step is. You may come here every single week and you come and you never give. And I want you to, I want to be clear, I love that you're here. I'm so excited you're here. You don't have to give money to be loved here. But I want you to take the next step in giving and begin to set aside a portion of your income each week or month or however you get paid to give to God. Maybe you already do that. Maybe you, you come to church and you, you're in the habit. This happens a lot in southern small churches where I'm going to drop my 20 in the, in the plate. Next week I'll drop my 20 in. It's Christmas. Maybe I'll drop 30 in there. My encouragement is going to be for you to move towards a tithe, a 10% of your income that is biblically taught. Now, I'll say this because there are some of you in here that are thinking you're safe, as I have thought I am safe a few times, thinking, Brian, I've already got the tithe thing down. Where do I go from there? Well, let me say this. I've heard people say that the tithe is not biblical in the New Testament. And to a degree, listen to me carefully, to a degree, I agree with that. Most people who will tell you a New Testament tithe is not biblical will say that you don't have to give that much. I believe it's not New Testament biblical because it's not the end goal. It's the starting point. So if we are coming here and we are tithing, I want to encourage you to take the next step to increase that percentage, another one or two percent to grow in that. Now, let me address the elephant in the room because I can read your faces. Every Sunday, I sit up here and I look at you and I know what you're thinking. And some of you immediately started thinking, there it is. There's the sales pitch. Every time I've been to a church and a preacher starts talking about giving, they immediately start the sales pitch of why I should give more money to their church. And we have this distrust of that message for a reason, and it's because of pastors on TV selling blessings for money, people falsely teaching that you can buy favor with God with prosperity gospel, 
We see people that, that preach these messages quite often, increasing in personal gain. And I want you to understand, I understand your reservations. That's why I have reservations when I teach giving. Because I know what the perspective of giving is. That somebody is trying to, to get personal gain at this. And listen, here's my promise to you. You will never hear me preach a mes message on giving trying to manipulate the scriptures for my personal good or for the good of this church. I promise you that. I will never come to you and say, boy, I wish this church would give me more money. If more people gave, we can do that. I will never do that. I will never look at the church budget and say, we got to figure out how to get some more money and come in here and try to convince you to give. I will never do that. And I want you to test me in that because words can mean very little. I want you to come to our business meetings and I want you to look at our financial reports and I want you to see where every penny is spent that comes into this church. I want you to come to the February business meeting and I want you to look at the budget that we're going to pass and I want you to know what we're proposing to do with the money in 2023. I want you to grab a deacon or a building and finance committee member and sit down with them and say, say what are we doing with the money? And if all of that's still not good, here's what you can do. You can take whatever you choose to give and put it in an envelope and just write the word missions on it. And when you do that, Brother Larry, our treasurer, will send 100% of what's in that envelope immediately from here. It will never enter the church budget, my control, or the church's control. Now, the reason I say that is because I don't want you to leave here with a cheap excuse of why you don't want to give. I, I don't want you to miss what God is trying to do because although this does not sound true, I truly believe that when I'm preaching, what I'm teaching here will be a benefit to your life, not to my life, not to this church. And I want to tell you about my own special journey in this. About 10 years ago, I fell under conviction. If you're, if you're a Christian, you know what conviction means. It means the Holy Spirit is telling you to do something. You feel it before you're getting saved. You're, just, you're uneasy all the time. You know you're supposed to do something, but you don't want to do it. And, and I would pray to God. I'd be like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I begin to wonder, am I even saved? What if God's calling me to be saved? And I have to go stand up in front of the church and I have to be baptized. I was in college at this time. And I was freaking out. And I was praying the prayer of salvation like 10 times a day. It's like, God, I know you sent your son to save me. Would you please save me? Please forgive me my sins. I was so stressed out and convicted about that. And one night God woke me up in the middle of the night with just this overwhelming conviction. And I laid in my floor and I prayed and I cried. And I finally said, God, I don't care what it is. I'll give it to you. And for the first time, I'd been convicted before, but for the first time I heard the Holy Spirit speak into my soul. Some of you know what that means. The Holy Spirit said one word to me, said tithe. I was a college student with no job, but I just received some refunds from college. And that was my living money. That was my gas money. That was my food money. And so I looked at that and I said, okay, I'm going to give 10% of what I have. And I went to an ATM and I pulled out $150. And with shaking hands, I dropped that roll of money in an offering plate. I'm not bragging about what I did or do or don't do. Here's what I want to tell you about that moment. That moment changed my life. 100%, I want you to know that when I began to prioritize God in my finances is when I learned to prioritize God in other aspects of my life. And I began to spiritually grow and I began to serve in church and I began to teach and I began to work with youth and eventually I became to preach and I looked back in my life and it came to one decision 
one decision when God called me to give and I chose to follow him. So what I want for you is I want what I have. I want you to experience the goodness of having a deeper relationship with God and that spiritual growth. And for many people in here, you will never progress farther than you are now because you are not being obedient and giving. So please understand, this isn't for me. It's kind of like when your dad spanks you and says, that hurt me worse than it hurt you. Let me tell you, this isn't for me. This is for you and your growth and your good. Goal number two on your take-home truths is we want to give more generously to, other, to others. This is another individual, individual level goal for our church. We want you to be generous outside of here. I'm not even talking about bringing money here. Outside of here, I want you to view your res financial resources as a way to help and love others in the name of Jesus Christ. So this year we will focus on empowering you to do that, training you to do that, and encouraging you to love others by giving. And there are multiple ways that you can do this. Thousands of ways that you can do this. I don't know what all they are. I thought of a few. We just went through Christmas. Every school in the county has an angel tree program where kids who have very little, their parents request for somebody to help them buy Christmas gifts. You can begin putting money back now to buy Christmas for a kid in 2023. That could be a way that, that, that you give generously to others. Maybe you have a coworker and you know they're struggling with rent. Maybe you can afford $100 and say, hey, let, let me help you just a little bit this month. Let me take your rent for one month and let you catch up and get back on your feet. Maybe, maybe we can, as a church, be a group of church members who go out to gas stations and pray, God, show me who, and buy random tanks of gas for random strangers just so we can tell them, God loves you. I hope that our church is full of people who will get in a fight to pay for the check when you go out to lunch because we want to be generous to those that are there. There's so many ways you can do this. I don't know what they are, but here's what I can promise for you. If you will look for and ask God for opportunities to give, he will open them up for you. People who legitimately need help. I promise you he will do that. A few years ago, you remember when COVID came out, everybody quit working, and we thought the world, end of the world was here, and it was like, Jesus is coming back any day. You guys remember that? And the government, bless their hearts, they're so good with money and budgeting, they said, we'll fix this. Sorry, I got political there. They said, we'll fix this. We'll give everybody $1,000. That'll fix all the problems in the country. You remember that, those COVID stimulus checks? Man, I remember getting those COVID stimulus checks. And, and at the time, my wife and I were in the process of buying a house. So I'm like, thank you, God. Let's roll that right into the down payment. And I thought I was being so good and responsible with this money. It's like, oh, I could have went out and bought a four-wheeler, but I didn't. I bought, you know, I put in a house for my family. I thought I was being so responsible until I talked to a member of this church. They're no longer here, but I'm going to tell you their story. And with great excitement, he began to tell me this story. He said, Brian, let me tell you what I got to do this week. Here's what he did. He took that COVID, COVID stimulus money and he went to the bank and he cashed that check. And he roamed Batesville with a fistful of 20s saying, God, show me who to give it to. And so he stalked like random trucks all through Batesville chasing down people he felt like God had told him to give money to. And he would give money to people and he would buy their gas and say, let me help you. And they would all say, you don't understand, this has been a hard time for you. And his message was this. He said, this isn't my money, this is God's and God's giving it to you. I'm just, I'm just delivering it. God, let us, let us be that kind of church that we are so excited to show people the love of Christ that we can be excited about giving. The Bible says that Christians are a peculiar people. You know what that means? You're weird. You should be weird. 
You should be the kind of people who find joy in doing things that nobody else would ever understand in, such as giving and loving others. And, and before you go here, I know what somebody in here is thinking. is like, well, it must be nice to be a doctor and be financially well off and be able to give your COVID stimulus money away. I won't get too deep into this. Let me just put, to, put it this way. That family was not financially well off, not even close. But they trusted God and they believed in him and they believed in his promises and they gave with joy. Goal number three on your take-home truths is we want to give more generously as a church. I will not call us to do something individually that I'm not willing to lead us to do collectively as a church. I want us as a church to be more generous. It's budget season. We're beginning to work on the budget for 2023 to come up in the next, uh, to come up in the next business meeting. And I talked to our deacons this week. I said, when you make a request for funds that you're going to be able to use to help people, make that request with the knowledge that we're going to be more generous this year that we're going to be looking for opportunities to take care of people. And in our budget, when we sit down and do a budget, I want you guys to know this. The very first thing we put on paper, the very first line item Ramsey Hutz puts on paper, is the money that we give away. That is number one priority. That, become, that comes before bills. That becomes before my salary. That comes before all the pretty things that we want. We put that in the budget first, and we work with what money we have left. Because I believe that's what God calls us to do as individuals. And so that's the way we handle money as a church. Several years ago, we made a, uh, a decision that we would give 10% of everything that came into this church away to missions. It, go, it goes out quickly. It goes to our local association that pays for things like church camp so that children who have never heard the gospel can go to a place where they hear the gospel multiple days in a row and God has an opportunity to work. We give it to state missions who plant churches in Arkansas that reach communities that may not be being reached with the gospel. We give it to world missions, and that money goes off to places like Africa and Ukraine and takes care of our missionaries and their needs there. We even give it to a missionary in Africa who drills wells and provides clean water in villages where there is no clean water. When we paid our building off a year and a half ago, we, we upped that to 12% that we're giving out. So I want you to write this down, and I want you to write this on your heart. It's something we are excited about. In 2022, Ramsey Heights gave to missions $16,954. I don't know what kind of lifestyles you live. That's a lot of money. And we got to give it away. We got to put that money in the hands of God. We got to say, God, you work with this and we'll figure out everything here. And here's what I can tell you. God has blessed this church because of that. I believe with all of my heart. I am so excited for that number, but I'm excited to see that number grow. Because of the way we have this in our budget as a percentage of offerings, when you are more individually generous to Ramsey Heights, it allows the church to be more generous collectively to missions. So as we practice giving, as more people give, as I give more, as I'm asking you to give more, that's more money immediately going out of this church. But I think we can do better than what we're doing. I really truly believe that we can do more. So I'm going to ask this year at the next business meeting, ask our business and finance committee and at the next business meeting, I'm going to ask us to increase missions giving another 3%. I'm going to ask us to increase 15% or to 15% of our incoming offerings going out immediately. Now, I want to be clear. I can't demand that. I can't say that we're going to do that, but that's going to be my request. But here's what I believe. I believe with all of my heart that if we'll do that, that God will provide for us the ability to do that and do other things that he's calling us to do. 
with all of my heart. So be, be expecting that in the next month that I'm going to be asking for that. We're also going to increase our mission drive goals. The past two, every year we have two missions drive. In February, we have World Missions Day where we collect for national missions and we send off across the world. Our goal has been $1,500. We're going to raise that to 2000 in the fall, we will pick a random missionary that, that is part of our association, and we will begin to fund them. Last year, our goal was $1,500 extra money. This year, it will be 2000 We, as a church, are going to give more collectively, and I believe that God will bless us because of that, and I believe that God will use what we give him. Because what God has promised me in his scripture, he's promised me that if a church or a person sows sparingly, they will reap sparingly. But if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. I want to share this story with you about giving. There have been times at this church where I've sat in this church and I've been in the business meetings where this is the fourth or fifth straight month that our church finances went in the red. Some of you have been here through those times. It's not fun to sit in a church business meeting and try to figure out how are we going to pay our bills because if things keep going this way, we're not going to have any money. But since we have entrusted God and said, we're going to give you 10%, God, our church finances have worked out wonderfully. I want to tell you this story. You probably don't know this. I got a call earlier this year. Somebody I'd never heard of, a cold call. And they said, hey, we'd like to give your church uh, $2,000 extra this year and $1,000 every year from now on. I said, what do we have to do? And they said, well, basically nothing. It's a government program that pays for these thermostats over here where if it gets really hot on Monday through Friday between 8 and 5, they can adjust our thermostats up 3 degrees. You know what's not being used on Monday through Friday, 8 to 5? Our thermostats. I said, you adjust them all you want to. <laughs> yeah. And, and so we, we started getting checks. Look, they, they sent us two checks for $1,100 this year. They're going to send us another one next year. Money just falls out of the sky. I know that sounds a little dramatic, but that's how I view it. That has the fingerprints of God all over it in taking care of this church. So here's the questions that I want to finish with. The question is, why should I or why should we give? And you'll find the answers in the scripture. Number one goes back to verse six. So your next take-home truth is God prospers those who give faithfully. Now I want to be clear because I know what some of you are hearing is prosperity gospel. Give money to church and you'll be a millionaire. That's not how this works. Okay? God is, God is not trying to make you a millionaire. We're not going to give God something in hopes that he will give us a millionaire. But simply put, that there is a way that God somehow blesses those who give faithfully. And here's how I think I see this. I'm not sure if this is right, but this is the way that I, I understand it. Is God invest in those who will invest back in his kingdom? Think about it. If you were an investor and you dealt with stocks and bonds and loans or all of those things, and you bought a stock that you kept putting money into and never brought you a return, what would you do? You would get rid of that stock. It's not useful to you. But if you bought a stock that continually gave you returns on your investment, what would you do? You would buy more of those stocks. What God does with finances is he invests finances in places that will bring him returns. God, God will give us the ability to do what he calls us to do if we will give faithfully back to him. It is not a get-rich-quick scream. It's a lifestyle choice in which God does something. And I want to share this story with you as well. This happened to me this week. I had this message done. This happened to me this week. Oakley went to daycare this year for the first time. And I don't know if you guys have put a kid in daycare in a while. 
it ain't cheap, okay, just so you know. And so she went to daycare this year, and so that's a new financial burden on our house. We're not struggling or anything like that. That's just a new financial burden for us. Well, I got a bonus in September, and I told Jessica, I'm like, this is God working. Teachers don't get bonuses, in case you know, but this year, they gave us a bonus. I said, babe, I think God is providing us the money to take care of Oakley's child care. So we put that entire bonus on the child care bill. And it was supposed to keep us paid up until December. So December has come and gone. We had way too much fun at Christmas. And now I'm looking at our finances in February and I'm biting my fingernails and I'm going, I got to pay child care because we haven't paid it. So I wrote a check to the child care place. And the next day I got a text message that said, hey, we forgot to tell you, there's been some differences in the way that we're categorizing your child and you now get child care for free. Uh, we're going to shred the check that you just gave us yesterday. And by the way, the check that you wrote in, in September, you still have $300 credit off of that check that was supposed to have run out several weeks ago. Now, I'm not telling you that to brag, but immediately I knew what had happened. God is saying, look, I told you, I'll take care of you. That's the way it works. God takes care of his children who, who give faithfully. Uh, the second reason is found, we got a lot to cover in a very short time, so I'm going to start going really quick. The second reason is found in verses 8 through 11, the reason that we give. Read with me. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, and you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So verse 8 tells us this, text, next take home truth, is God will supply you with the resources to give him. I once heard it put this way one time. You cannot outgive God. You don't have the resources to outgive God. The more you give, the more He can give to you. He, he can give you more than you could ever dream of giving away. And what this, what this verse basically says is it says you will never not have enough to get to God. And I know because I've sit in here, I've sit in here and thought this to myself. I thought, I don't have the resources to do this. If I had more money, I would give to God. And that's simply not true. The truth is, the more we give to God, the more legitimate we are, the more likely we are to follow him. If you look at statistics, it'll tell you the more people make, the less they feel like they have the money to give to God. Most people who tithe make less than $60,000 a year. People above that almost never tithe because they don't have the money. Number three in verse 12, read with me here. Verses 12 and 13. So as Paul is continuing speaking, he says, For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst the experiment of the ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. So next take home truth or reason you should give to God is giving has a purpose and glorifies God. Here Paul is telling us that when you give, it supplies for the needs of the saints. And there are needs for the Christian work. I don't know if you guys know this. It takes money to run a church. When you give, that is part of what God does. We, we exist as a church to make disciples, and that costs money. This building was not free. The heaters that are running this morning are not free. And so when we give, we supply the needs of a church to go take the gospel as well. And I just want to point out, whether you've given or not, if you're here today, you're benefiting from somebody else giving to God. And the pure chairs that you're sitting in and the fact that it's comfortable in here. Giving also goes to missionaries who have uh, financial needs as they travel, they care for others, as they have to have a uh, cost of living and food. Giving meets their needs. Last fall, we gave to a missionary named Joe Costa. He's supposed to be in the United States in the next couple months. I hope to have him here to speak to us. 
And one of the things when he asked for giving, he says, here's what we're doing with the money. They're in Lebanon and their economy is completely in shambles. He says, one of the things we do is we give food vouchers to families. They're supplying something like 100 families with weekly food vouchers to make sure that they don't starve to death. You know where that money started? People like you and me giving to our church and our church giving to missions to make sure that Joe Costa has that money. We, we supply the needs of missionaries, but we can also supply the needs of individuals out in the world by giving them shelter, food, clean water, just like Joe Costa does in Lebanon. We can do that here. So if we do this, I really believe that's a picture of what it looks like to follow God. When Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? He said, did he say give money? No, he didn't. I wouldn't dare lie to you. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And then he volunteered. Secondly is like unto it. Love others as you would love yourself. Let me put that in Arkansas terms for you. If you would meet your own needs, be the kind of people who will meet the needs of others in the same way. That's what the Bible is teaching us. That's what Jesus taught us to do with our finances. And because of this, when we do this, secondly here, he says, because you give, because you supply the needs of people, people begin to give thanks to God and they begin to glorify God. It is our opportunity to be generous givers. And when people say, why are you so weird giving money away all the time? You're like, man, God's got me. All I need is the love of God. He's gonna take care of me. And listen, I give away money because I know that God loves you too and he wants to care for you. And even though you might know it, not know it, God is caring for you through me. That's our opportunity. And it causes people to look at us and not be thankful to us, but be thankful to God because God is going to supply needs through us. Last one, read with me verses 14 and 15. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. The next take home truth, the last take home truth today is my generosity points others to the generosity of God. When people begin to see God's grace in us, it gives them a reason to see God. See, grace and giving are almost synonymous. Did you know the very basis, the most important part of your faith is the word give? Not what you give, but what has been given to you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the verse that has led more people to Christ than any other Bible verse. And it has to do with the fact that God gave us something. Listen, when I'm asking you to give, when I'm calling us as a church to give, we are not earning God's favor. We are not making ourselves more special to him. We're simply reflecting the love that he's already given to us. And we've had a lot of talk this morning about giving and money. And I know that you guys are going to like hit the exits here in just a second. But listen, Liv, if you want to come up here. If you're sitting here and you have not received God's gift, I want you to listen to me carefully. Put your wallet away. Put your purse away. We don't need your money. Because you cannot give in the heart that we're talking about today unless you have first received what God has given to you. Because God loved you so much that you don't have to do anything to buy his love. He made it free to you. And all you have to do is accept that. And today, on the first time I was here in January of 2023, can be the day that you come to Christ. 
How awesome would it be to spend the rest of your life telling people, I got saved on a day when the preacher talked about tithing. I'd brag about that. I would brag about that all day. But today can be the day that you can receive something. I don't want you to give until you've received from Christ. So put your wallets away and put your purses away. But if you're like me, and many of you are because we are a church, and you've received the gift of Christ, let's reflect His love and His giving to the world. This morning, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Don't listen to me. Yeah, don't listen to me. Ask God what He wants you to do this year and tell Him you'll do whatever He calls you to. And here's my promise from the Scripture. If you will do that, God will care for the needs. He will make sure that you have what you need to do what He calls you to do. Let's stand and worship and pray, please.